Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. Anybody remember Harvest Gold appliances? Or please don't admit that you still have some in your home, but but Harvest Gold appliances were the thing whether it was that was going on in the late 60s and early 70s. Everybody had to have Harvest Gold. That was the latest and greatest. Um, what transitioned into the 80s, guys won't remember this, but most ladies will. Remember the color mauve? Some of you still have mauve walls in your house. Shame on you for doing that. Um, but mauve was the big color of the 80s. If you, if you, if you had a had a room in your house that didn't have at least one mauve wall, you, well, you, you weren't all that. Um, ask a 20-year-old what hunter green is, and they'll kind of look at you funny, probably. Ask them also what a three on the tree is, and they'll look at you funny there too. Things change. Colors change. Lifestyles change. People change. Circumstances change. Jobs change. Life changes. That's part of life. Change is a natural part of life, and whether we realize it or not, I, I, I hope some of you saw in this week's E-News about a conversation I had with my grandmother about inventions and the kind of change that she has seen in her lifestyle or within her lifetime. And uh, if anybody should be resistant to change, it's probably, you would think, an older person. And she said, you know, the end of our conversation was, son, the only thing constant is change. Change is going to occur whether you like it or not. Life's going to change. Your circumstances are going to change. This event, the resurrection of Jesus, not only changed him in, in, a, in a obviously glorified and resurrected body, but it changed the people around him, and it should change us. We're going to look tonight at, at this element of change. And if change is hard for you or difficult for you, I hope your takeaway tonight is some scripture that you can kind of put in your pocket to help you deal with some of that and, and encourage you and challenge you along the way. Turn to, to um, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And we're going to be around in several places tonight, but um, most of the Scripture will be on the screen if you don't have a copy of the Bible with you. If you do, turn there. You may want to make some notes in the margin as you go along. We're going to look at a couple of ways that the resurrection changed him and then also look at some passages that deal with, because of that, deal with change in ourselves. We pick up the story in verse 11 of chapter 20, this resurrection story. Um, And so join me there and we'll follow along. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He said to you, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them. I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. 
And on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, these two things I think among several that this passage points out, but I want to point out these two changes that happened to him, consequently by way of promise, will happen to us. First of all, the resurrection changed his appearance. Uh, look back at verse 14 and 15. At this she turned and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize who it was. Later, she recognizes or, or believes him to be the gardener. He changed his appearance. Now, you need to realize that Mary, after this is Magdalene, after her encounter with Jesus, after she was caught in adultery, in that encounter, I doubt she could look at his face for shame of the situation she was caught in. Uh, the religious leaders caught her, brought her out before Jesus, trying to trick him and basically do away with her too. And I, I don't know that, that scene, but my mind's eye tells me that she probably felt unworthy to look at him and anybody else around at the time. You know the story. He, he asked anybody without sin to throw the first rock at her. They, the rocks start dropping, and they start walking away one by one, the oldest first. And he stoops down to the right in the sand, gets up there, gone, and asks her, woman, where are your accusers? And she looks around, I have none. He says, go and, and change. Go and sin no more. Go and repent. Go and do something different. Make your life different. From that point on, I dare say she probably didn't take her eyes off of him because he changed her life forever. Up until that point, she probably couldn't bear to look at him or much anybody else for her embarrassment. So here's this lady that walked with him for almost three years to this point and knew him well. Probably knew, knew most of the nuances of his language, of, of his gait, of how he walked. I mean, she could probably recognize him from a distance. She spent almost every day with him, he and his disciples, and, and Mary and Martha and some other, several other followers that helped tend to the, to, to the needs of the twelve. And she knew him, knew him very, very well, could pick him out of a crowd instantly. And here she turns and can't even recognize him. So what does that tell us? It tells us that not only his appearance was changed in that moment of resurrection, but ours will be too. I don't know what our glorified bodies will look like, but they won't look like what we look like now. You can bank on that because of her inability to recognize the Lord. And he went from a sinless human body to a sinless glorified body, from a sinless earth suit to a sinless heavenly suit. Now, it probably wasn't glowing or angelic or the, the kinds of ways that you would normally imagine him to be after his resurrection. Or that would totally wigged her out, or she would have thought he was an angel probably, but she thinks he's the gardener. Can you get that? She thinks he's the gardener. And so he looks very common. He looks very ordinary to her, but she can't recognize him, can't see it, can't see who he is until he speaks her name, Mary. And she gets it. She finally recognizes it. Turn over to chapter 21, a page or two um, of John, and look at verse 4 um, with me. Let's look at this. Here's another encounter that the, that the disciples had with him after his resurrection. goes further to, to this in, their inability as well, not only Mary's, but their inability to recognize him as well. Early in the morning, verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. They're out in a boat about 100 yards from shore. He called out to them, friends, have you any catch? Have you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net out on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, 
As I said, they were about 100 yards away. They spent three and a half years, these guys have with him, knew him intimately, knew him well, would recognize his frame from probably 100 yards very easily, as you and I would, somebody we knew well, would recognize their walk, certainly would recognize their voice calling out to us, have you any fish? They didn't recognize either, his voice or his frame. Didn't recognize who he was. Then the disciples, verse 7, whom Jesus loved, said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? In essence, they didn't recognize him, but they knew it was the Lord because of the catch. They knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. Here are guys that knew him well, knew him intimately, walked every day with him, yet didn't recognize him. His appearance changed. His physical appearance changed. Maybe even his stature, his height, I don't know. But we, he was unrecognizable to them. He wasn't, as I said, glowing or angelic or heavenly looking probably. He was very ordinary looking. Yet they knew as soon as he shared with them who, uh, the, the, the connection there. And John recognized him by the catch. It's got to be the Lord. Because <laughs> he remembers the call. You know, he looked at the call. These same guys call in the same way, same situation about three weeks ago. They're out fishing, come in. He's teaching. He gets in the boat, puts out a little ways, commandeers one of their boats, finishes teaching from the boat, says, let's go out into deeper water. Go out into deeper water, drop down your nets. We've, we've been fishing all night, hadn't caught a thing. Drop down your nets. They pull both boats up and the nets are breaking. And so the same scenario is, is happening here. And John recognizes it. He said, okay, I've seen this before. It's got to be the Lord on the shore. So they go and, and you see the story there as it unfolds. Your appearance and my appearance after our resurrection both spiritually, born again, and physically, birthed out of the ground, whether we are here to experience his return or whether we're not and our, our, our bodies come out of the ground at his return, those bodies are going to be different from what you and I are sitting here looking at each other like tonight. Now, I don't know how much different, but they're going to be obviously different because his was. His resurrected, glorified body was very different in appearance. Yours and mine will be too. Will we be able to recognize each other? Certainly not as we were but maybe as he wants us to see each other. So it changed his appearance. Secondly, it changed his approach. Look at, uh, in, back to chapter 20. Look at verses 20 and 21, or 21 and 22. Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, they went in this moment, in this instant, from being a follower to being sent. He said, As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Up until this point, they had been sitting at his feet, eating with him, following him around, watching him do miracles. <clears throat> Their experience with him had been to learn, to, to grow, to see, to recognize him as Messiah, all this, taking it all in. And now, he said, it's time to go. You've soaked all you need to soak. It's time to go. They were, they were gripped, though, in fear in this moment for what is, for, for, for not only where they were, what had just happened. Jesus had just been crucified, had been put in the tomb. 
they were his followers, and the, the murmurings here, it says that they, on the evening of the first day of the week, they were all together for fear of the Jewish leaders, in essence. By association, they, they were fearful for their own lives because they were followers of his. And probably there were rumors stirring about Jerusalem, about town. What happened to the twelve? What happened to these guys? Well, I mean, we don't see them anymore. Jesus is dead, and there had been earlier prophets, teachers, come up and rise up and fall down, rise up and fall down, and their, and their followers doing the same. Some of them have been put to death, and that's why the disciples are, are huddled together in, in this room here for fear of their lives. But what happened to change them, their willingness? And they go. We, we find the story. They go. In fact, they left the house probably almost immediately, and they go, and, and, and Simon or, or Peter goes back to the shore. He gets back in his boat, starts fishing again. And so th- their fear was lost in the moment of his coming in and saying, Peace be with you, and breathing the Holy Spirit onto them. That is the key. Whatever fear you face, whatever fear we face in our life, whether that's imagined or whether it's real, the antithesis of that fear, the opposite of that fear is peace. The bringer of the peace is the Holy Spirit. And so as he breathed the Holy Spirit on them and into them, their fear immediately left and had been replaced with peace. Why? Because the source of the peace is is the Holy Spirit. And at the Holy Spirit's presence, the fear leaves. Great lesson for you and I in that. Um, is in, in, the, in that the answer to our fear is the peace, and the vehicle for peace is the Holy Spirit. So his approach changed from follow me, model me, mock me, look at me, to follow the Spirit, or be obedient to the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, the Spirit will guide you. And that was he was he was giving them the gift of himself in spirit form. So he obviously changed, and in more ways than these, but that's all we have time to go into tonight. I want you to see what some of these changes in us, though, as a result of his change and his resurrection occur. Turn to Matthew chapter 18. I'm sorry, 18. And um, I want you to see this verse here in Matthew 18 that deals with this idea of change. The resurrection changed him. It changes us, both now and for eternity. Verse 3 of chapter 18 says, And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never. You know, last week I told you, when you see the word never in Scripture, it occurs very seldom. So when you see it, pay particular attention to it. Unless you come like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, he's saying. And so, in essence, this this change here is that we have to change to know him. We have to change to know him in order to come to him in relationship we got to change. We've got to change attitude. We've got to change desire. We've got to change our wants. We've got to change our needs. We've got to change our, our ambitions to come to know Him. We can't accept Him conditionally. And as we've been taking the look for these past several weeks at cultural Christianity and the Scripture and how little the Scripture looks like cultural Christianity that you and I see in our day and time, as we're taking a look at those kinds of things, we can't do as most Christians, most cultural Christians do, and that is accept him conditionally. I'll take a little of him with a dose of the rest of what I want. Here's my ideas, my dreams, my ambitions, my goals, my desires. And if he fits into all of that, great. If he doesn't fit in, we'll have to make him work in wherever he can work himself in. And so this idea of, of, of change, it's, it's a great requirement to walk with him. In fact, as I told you a few moments ago, this story by the seashore was replicating the very call that he put to the disciples. He says, and, and, and at them, told them, come follow me. In essence, leave the biggest catch of your lives, 
Leave the biggest payday you've ever had. Leave your livelihood. Leave your families. Leave it all behind. Leave your vocation. Leave it all behind and follow me. And immediately they did. He was saying to them, if you're going to follow me, it's got to be unconditional. If you want to know me, you've got to change. And, and this idea of, of going back to this childhood trust, whether a person is a child or adult, doesn't matter. The scripture here in Matthew 18, 3 is, is, is metaphor in a sense to say, your trust has to be childlike for you to know me. You've got to unlearn, unthink, leave the things behind that you think are, are, are of value to you and pick me up and, and carry me along in your life. Secondly, not only do we have to change to know him, we have to change to follow him. Turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, and we'll look together at verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus, and, and, and these are the religious leaders speaking about Stephen. Stephen's about to be stoned in the context of the Scripture. So the religious, these are religious leaders saying what Stephen has said. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple, will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. In essence, he's saying Jesus is going to change the things we've known. He's going to change the behaviors, the attitudes, the, the mannerisms, the traditions, the things we've always known and held dear. He's going to change those things. He said he would, and he did say that he would. Now, if we're going to have to change to follow him, we can't stay the same and walk in his ways. As I said earlier, it's not this kind of conditional belief in him. It's not, okay, I got this and this and this, and I, I got this career box over here, so don't mess with the career box. And I got the career box, and I got the family box, and you can, you can get in the family box, Jesus, occasionally. I will let you in there. Got the church box. You can fill up the church box all you want. Stay in the church box, fill it all up. Got the hobby box over here. And I might let you in the hobby box every now and then. And we think that we can manage all these, keep all these plates spinning and make him another plate in the pie. That's not the way he works. He says, if you want to know me and you want to follow me, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to change the things that are important to you. You're going to have to change the things that you value and pick up the things that I value for you. Drastic difference from where cultural Christianity sees that. Our thinking has to change. Now, thirdly, not only do we have to change to know him and change to follow him, we have to change to see him. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is cool. Um, we're going to look at several verses here in the, in the context of chapter 15. First of all, at verse 12. <clears throat> but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Now drop to verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a human being. Now, drop down to verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. Watch this. Catch, catch every nuance of, of these verses here. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in honor, in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That's, just, that's what happened in the room when they were all huddled together there. They changed from one to the other. So it is written, the fir- in the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was from the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. 
And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born into the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the heavenly man. I declare you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die, in essence, but we'll all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Change is going to occur. We're going to have to change to see him. That's this last one. We will have to change to know him, have to change to follow him, and we'll have to change to see him. In an instant, in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, he says here in this verse, our destiny, who we were designed to be, becomes instantaneously clear. And our destination, where we're going to, where we belong to, where we're a citizen of now already changes. It's realized. It's not cosmetic, uh, <clears throat> nor is it external. So consequently, we can't clean up to, see, to come see Jesus at his return. He cleans us up already. He has cleaned us up at the cross already. So we are either resurrected with him in, in these glorified bodies that, as we talked about earlier, don't look anything like what we look like now, or we don't know him at all and we're not resurrected at all, or as, as Paul was saying, all will not fall asleep. In essence, there'll be a generation that recognizes physically his coming, that'll be alive as it, at his coming. My grandparents thought they would be. My parents thought they would be. I think I will be too. Um, that'll remain to be seen whether he comes that soon or not. But what, what these verses are saying is that at that time, you and I are going to be changed instantly and eternally changed into what he designed us to be what he designed us to look like, um, made ultimately like him into his image. Now, if that scares you a little bit, that's okay. And it's okay to be scared and concerned and anxious about that. What you ought to realize and take away is, is that what he has designed for me is better than anything I've ever known. What he will transform me into is better than anything I've ever experienced. Because of that, I don't have to fear. There's nothing to fear in death. For, for, in fact, for a believer, when you read these kinds of verses, for a believer, for, for a person who has a relationship with Jesus, this looks and seems like, and it should, look and seem like graduation, not something bad. Death for, for the believer is a victorious, miraculous, instantaneous, and eternal change from who we were to who he designed us to be. And that's a great thing. Consequently, we have nothing to fear in death. Now, go back with me, if you will, to this upper room where they're all huddled together after his, after his death, and he's in the tomb, and they're all huddled together praying, are, we, are they coming after us? Are they going to kill us? What happens? And here he shows up in the middle of them, just appears. Then knock on the door. I don't know if he came through a wall, if he just kind of vaporized like Star Trek. And there he was. But he appeared in the room there in the middle of them. And you can imagine they're, whoa. And so they don't recognize who he is. You see in those verses in John that he shows them his hands and his side, so that they can readily, oh, this is Jesus. And he says, peace be to you. Gives the Holy Spirit to them, and instantly they go from death to life. Instantly they go from fear to faith. In, in, in an instant as he comes in and speaks peace and brings to them the Holy Spirit. So, if you're not afraid of death as a believer, and we shouldn't be, what else do we have to fear? What else do we have to fear? What are you really afraid of tonight? Maybe even worse than death. And it amazes me how many people have fears worth, worse than death. 
It's, um, it's staggering the, bond, the self-induced bondage people place themselves in because they're so afraid of that might happen. This may occur. And so we surround ourselves with insulation, whether it be people or money or things or toys or work. We surround ourselves and insulate ourselves from that because that's the very thing we fear. When these verses tell us we've already become victorious over death. So what is worse than that? I mean, what is, what is worse than death? Um, whatever it is, the Holy Spirit comes to the room to speak peace over it. Now, change has occurred all throughout Scripture. This isn't, this isn't anything new that I've read you these verses. It begins in Genesis um, and, and really occurs all throughout His Word. He changed Abraham from, far, from farmer to father of a nation. He changed Joseph from kid's brother to the king's house. He changed David from a shepherd to a giant killer. Changed Joshua from invasion to evangelist. Changed Peter from follower to a leader. He changed Magdalene, this very lady that found him at the tomb, thought he was the gardener. Changed her from hooker to helper. Made a drastic change in her life. Changed Paul from murderer to missionary. Changed, we could, if we allowed time tonight, we could, we could, I could here, because I know some of them already, stories have changed of how God has changed you, how he's changed me. If he changed them, and if he started with change in Genesis, and goes really to, to change through Revelation, the Revelation's ultimate book of change, if he starts to change hearts in Genesis and, starts to ch- and carries it all the way through to changing hearts and destinations and eternities and destinations, I mean destinies and destinations in Revelation, change is what this book is about. It's about knowing him changing us. And how knowing him should not only change us, but allow us to be change agents to others around us. Why? Because we know him. Why? Because he has breathed peace to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit at salvation. He did the same thing at salvation to you and I that he did in the room with these 12 hanging around for fear of their lives. He says, may the Holy Spirit come in you and give you peace. Why? To take away the fear that you're so anxious about. So... (laughs) Why are we so afraid of change? Many people are. It's hard for some folks. Um, in fact, wars have been started because people don't want to change. Uh, physical wars where people die, spiritual wars where the, the, the kingdom attacks each other, uh, emotional and circumstantial wars where, where races are attacking or cultures are attacking each other. And, and why are we so afraid of change? That's what it really boils down to. Because here's the, here's the real truth. We think, because we think peace and safety are found in predictability, are found in routine. Because we think that, we're afraid of change. We put, our, we put around us, we put within our world systems to protect us from that. Uh, whether it's the routine of our day, the routine of our job, the routine of our, our home, we put in, our, put, it, put in place around our lives routines to help insulate us from this fear of, of the unknown. Years and years ago, I talked to a, a lady who was in an abusive relationship. And I asked her, how can you do that? How, can, how in the world can you go back to that? Go back to that kind of home and back to that kind of abuse. Her response to me was staggering. She said, I would rather endure the pain of what I know than the fear of what I don't know. Blew me away. I didn't see it. I still don't see it to this day, but I understand a little more of how fear can grip the hearts of people. I'd rather experience the pain that I know than experience the fear 
that I don't know? Wow. The answer to that is, peace be with you, the Holy Spirit says. I'm coming to give you peace. I've come in to take that fear away, regardless of how deep it is, regardless of how far back it's gone, regardless of the source of it, where it came from. I come that you might not have it anymore. That you can walk in victory and not in fear. Why? Because I'm in you. And because I'm in you, not only do I have this, I've got you in the middle of it. And it may not seem like it because you may be in a hard place, maybe in a place you don't understand all the circumstances, but you need to hear him saying, peace be with you. I've got this. I've got you. There's a design to what's going on. You don't see it. You don't need to see it today. All you need to see today is I've got it and I've got you. That's all you need to know. That ought to give us a great deal of peace. It ought to give us a great deal of assurance uh, because, indeed, peace and safety is not found in predictability. It's not found in systems. It's not found in routine. It's found in the Holy Spirit. Our peace and our safety is found in Him. Cultural Christianity, we've talked a lot, a lot about it over these next few weeks, and we'll some more. Cultural Christianity, in large part, is about conformity. It's about sameness, if you will. And being a follower of Jesus is about transformation. It's about change. It's about something drastically different than we've ever experienced before. And because of that, there's some fear associated with it. Fear of the unknown. The pain of the known versus the fear of the unknown. And the fear of the unknown can keep us in bondage spiritually to what God has for us. It it can keep our minds and our hearts and our eyes spiritually clouded to see what he has for us. And we never see it. We never get it. Why? We're not willing to open that door. Too much fear of the unknown behind that door. Over here, I can predict, even though I don't like the outcome, I can predict it. I can manage it because I've seen it before. I know it. Over there, I don't know. You know, the the transition between here and there is the same transition those guys had in the room. I'll give you the peace. My peace comes through the Holy Spirit. It don't come by giving you a glimpse into the room. It comes by giving you a glimpse into me. It comes by knowing that I'm in you and I'm with you. And I've got the room. I've got what's on the other side of that wall and the other wall behind that and the other wall behind that and the other wall behind I've got it all. I see it all. And I'll, I'll navigate you through all of that if you'll trust me. If you'll trust me. But we can't do that and walk in fear. We just can't. If fear keeps us in the bondage to who we are and who we were, we'll never change enough to see who he wants us to be. Now, if change to you looks like tonight, a relationship with Jesus. What I mean by that, if you've never prayed to receive him, never invited him into your heart, know him personally, know him personally as your Savior, have a relationship with him, but we'd invite you to do that tonight. And there's no greater change that can occur in your life than that. For some of you, change tonight may look like taking a step into a place where you have been afraid to go. It may, it may be grasping a, a deeper and, 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 and more clutched grip on the Holy Spirit in your life to know that God is in me. He's not at church. He's not over there. He's not with Tim. He's not with the... He's in me. I know him personally because he's in me. So I need to trust him more than I've been trusting him. I need to lean on him more than I've been leaning on him. He gives me the peace if I'll just step into it. These guys had to step out of the room and get back to fishing, get back to the shore to experience his peace. They couldn't experience it staying in the room. He said, I'm going to send you. You've been followers of mine to this point. I'm sending just like the Father sent me. I'm sending you. There's activity involved. We've got to move to experience his peace and know that. So whatever that looks like for you tonight, would you just be obedient? As fearful as, that, as obedience looks like sometimes, I want to encourage you, 
to have the courage to be obedient, to step into relationship or to step into obedience. That's at a deeper level of trust, deeper level of, of peace than you've ever known that the Spirit will guide you into. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.